Motherhood is one of nature's loftiest challenges, especially if you're alone in the wild with limited resources. Protecting eggs or young may mean giving up your own well-being to give your offspring a fighting chance. But Bedford's flatworm has a plan to avoid this duty. Unfortunately, it's the strongest of the species that is most able to escape responsibility on the darker side of life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube or Spotify. And thank you to Johanna for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at LD Taxonomy or visit us at our home on the web at ldtaxonomy.com. And thank a very special thank you to our patrons. Uh, to Tristan Taylor... Jesse Raspolich, Carol Raspolich, and Paul Chomo. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for helping us keep the lights on. It's greatly appreciated. And today we're talking about a flying magic carpet of the ocean. But more on that later. Yes, we're talking about the Bedford's flatworm. Bedford Falls. That's why one of my nicknames is the Jimmy Stewworm. Ah. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, for, for real. Yeah. Hello, Bedford Falls. It's also called the Persian Carpet Flatworm. Uh, and so mine is uh, J- Jimmy Stewworm and also uh, Rob Royd Rage. I'll, uh, the alternative is Squishy Swashbuckling Saber Sailor, which will Ooh. probably become apparent in the, the major fact. Also, I apologize, apologize if my voice sounds weird. Uh, I'm not using the same mic that I usually use. And if you're watching this, if you're one of our patrons and you're, and you're watching the video, you'll see that I am not in my usual deluxe, uh, expensive uh, studio closet. I'm <laughs> I'm in my mother-in-law's office that has been transformed into a nursery for Mason. So his crib is behind me. <laughs> crib cam. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's taxonomize Bedford's flatworm. So this is the second flatworm we're doing in just a few weeks, because the that horrifying um, brood sack, that's a flatworm. So they come in all kinds of fun shapes and sizes and life cycles and parasitic inclinations. Uh, the, so for this one, the class, the kingdom is Animalia. You know it, you love it, you're in it. The phylum is... Platyhelminthes. Hmm. I think I got that right. Uh, the clade, I couldn't find a class. So it was just clade. Was Amplimatricata. Amplimatricata. The order is Polycladida. Uh, the family is Pseudocreotidae. The genus is Pseudobiceros. And the species is Bedfordy. Bedfordy. Pseudobiceros Bedfordy. Because, you know, it's the Bedford's flat. It's one of those things where it's like the, like the Pink Floydy. Um, you just slap an eye on the end. It's like, yeah, it's Latin. 
But since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show. I forgot what we named this one. So we're going to call it Name It and Claim It Baby Edition um, <laughs> for Flatworms. I forgot. what It's been so long since we've done like baby, baby, like baby names. We call it something different every time. I think last time we just said baby names. Yeah, that's that's um, that's so milk toast. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, we're gonna we're gonna go full Osteen on this one and talk about what what the what the babies of this particular kind of animal uh, are. So we're talking about flatworms here, mostly because we've already done worms. There's no collective noun for flatworms since they tend to just pretty much be by themselves. Um, and also, I could I just could not find any sort of etymology for pseudo but so okay so what are the baby what are baby flatworms called what which one of these is a name for baby flatworms because they do take on lots of names but only one of these is a name for baby flatworms a is it a fluke b a hatchling c a protean or d a squirt i mean they do come out of eggs i guess technically everything does you know what i'm going with hatchling final answer and incorrect the answer was fluke ah it's a that fluke was, that was immediately written off i said that's part of a whale that's a whale's tail it ain't gonna be what we're talking about and it was well if if you had uh found the seeker boss in hollow knight you would know that a fluke is a giant worm <laughs> well it's a you fight you fight a boss called the fluke marm and it makes little worms so i thought you might have since you played hollow knight i thought that may have given it away but mm, i don't remember if i fought that maybe it's, i didn't it's the grossest one it's the grossest one um but do you want to hear about so yeah baby the baby flatworms are called flukes not all baby flatworms are called flukes mind you they they have several each one has its own kind of unique life cycle based on the animal that it uh, most of them are parasites, so based on the animal that he uses as a host. But um, yeah, flu- fluke is one of them. So let's talk about what this guy looks like. The uh, Bedford's flatworm looks like an island that was made like an hour ago by an active volcano. Hmm. End of description. No, I mean, if you've ever watched Avatar, it's like the Avatar Roku's island. It it just it looks like it's got these. It's so it's this flat, floppy, leaf shaped thing. It has these wavy edges around. Um, its body is dark brown, but it's got these bright orange, or I guess sometimes pink, but they all look orange in the pictures to me. Like these rivulets going down and throughout it. Um, which makes it look like it's just this volcano and lava is going through it and it's hardening and that's the brown the brown stuff. Um, so it looks actually pretty darn cool. Uh, it also has t- thousands of tiny little yellow polka dots all over it. Polka, polka, polka. So it's, it's, it's really striking. A lot of bright and vibrant colors, uh, but mostly kind of just like this... F- flat floppy wavy mass can't really like a slug can't really tell where it's where its face is um because it's just one one big blob um but it's not that big 
So how big is it? Hmm. Well, welcome to the Beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an audio yourself saying, singing, or chittering. The words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We don't have a new measure up intro this week, but we we are going to revisit our greatest hits. But uh, first, speaking of uh, listener interaction or interaction at all this is not necessarily a listener i suppose uh remember last week we we were talking about like what is the uh what is the social hierarchy of of zoologists oh did we get a response well i posted a clip on twitter that particular clip and john p friel phd who is a uh, museum director of the Alabama Museum of Natural History, and also, okay. according to his Twitter bio, hashtag Team Fish. <laughs> so he he came in this biased. He said a picture is worth a thousand words, and posted a picture of what I can describe as it looks like. Okay, so there's a impending brawl. There's a biker-looking man uh, staring down a nerdy-looking guy uh, in a in a in a sweater vest and t-shirt combo combination. And then there's other people. Looks like it's in this bar room, perhaps. And there's other people surrounding them, like cheering, egging them on, looking concerned. So the the nerd it says the is labeled bird twitter and then the 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 biker looking guy that's like staring him down is fish twitter so it seems as if the um bird and fish enthusiasts uh ornithologists and ichthyologists that's where the biggest contention that's there's the beef birds and fish it sounds like the fish have an unfair advantage here, though. Giant biker guy versus Poindexter. Obviously, this is probably made by a fish. A fish Twitter aficionado. A fish, an aficionado. Aficionado. And, then, and behind snake Twitter is like egging on. Insect Twitter is laughing. Nudie Branch Twitter is just smiling. <laughs> Just one and, for those nematodes. And squid Twitter, which you are asking about. <laughs> squid. I don't I don't I don't want to look up squid Twitter. <laughs> That's gonna go in my internet search history. Uh he also said just search for hashtag bird versus fish or fish versus bird for a treasure trove of tweets back and forth between ichthyologists and ornithologists. I don't know if I wanna enter a war zone. But I, I'm glad to know that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there is. There's beef. There's beef out there. I figured there was at least a little bit. I, I hope it's friendly, friendly banter between colleagues rather than actual beef. Yeah, those that the beef is for the 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 mammal the mammalogists. <laughs> That's what the cows are. Interesting. Well, thank you for responding, 
John? John. You said John. Yes. Uh, and I'll have to check out what the beef is. That is going to make me have to go onto Twitter, though. So I don't, I know don't if that's recommend it. it. <laughs> I don't know. It's not surprising that um, there is no untouched corner of Twitter. There's no corner of Twitter that's untouched by, by war strife. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine fish and bird Twitter is more pleasant than <laughs> than general general Twitter, but then then Mountain then Mountain Dew and Dr Pepper Twitter, <laughs> then Halo and Call of Duty Twitter. No matter what you do on Twitter, in the corner of your eye, you have to see the trending tabs, and it's always bad. Always. But anyway, what's not bad is our Measure Up Greatest Hits. So this one comes from Tom all the way back in June of 2019. Uh, Without further ado, the listeners' favorite part of the show. Barrel-chested Tom. There, there it is. Yeah, the barrel-chested Tom. I remember that one because we were. Is that a generator in the back? <laughs> is he generating his barrel-chestedness? He 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 uh, plugged himself into some extra power to 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 get that measure up. Thanks, Tom. If you're still listening. Yeah, you I remember back. He he did. Res- we called him barrel-chested back in the day. Obviously. And uh, he said, I'm obviously, hefty, I'm a hefty 6'3", 240 pounds with a beard, and I like to carve seahorses from lime wood. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we said he he sounds like he does woodworking. Oh, my and he says, goodness. He literally likes to carve seahorses from lime wood, if that counts as woodworking. That's exactly what we were imagining. Yeah, that was he he was the, the exact uh, like archetype for just that that voice to be attached to you can hear the beard <laughs> you can hear the seahorse ca- carving skills let's get into the length they're between eight and ten centimeters or 3.9 inches <clears throat> how many bedford's flatworms go into the diameter of the planet psr b 1620-22b also known as methuselah really yeah, we're going astronomical. This is not only is it a ocean animal with no particular, like no specific range. Where it is seen is usually in New Guinea or Australia, Great Barrier Reef. So we've talked about local facts about Australia so much that you know I gotta go astronomical. So here's a hint. Methuselah is a gas giant that orbits a white dwarf uh, and a pulsar that both orbit each other. The planet is a very interesting, I would call it a binary star system, but one of them is a pulsar, not technically a star. So the planet is pretty particularly interesting because it's, it challenges the conventional wisdom of how planets are formed. Planets are thought to form from metal rich stars but Methuselah formed in a metal-poor star system. Not only that, it is particularly massive as a planet in a resource-poor star system. So, I'm sure there's tons of theories, but it's very interesting and very offbeat. That's the that's the Kookaburro offspring. It just took all the resources. Man, I have I don't even I don't know. 
goodness. The diameter. Do you, know the, do you remember the diameter of Earth? No, but I'm trying to remember what that is and then try to remember how many Earths go into the diameter of Jupiter and then work with that. Um, but I do not remember. 7,900 miles. Oh, you're just giving that to me? Of Earth, yeah. Oh. Well, thank you. That's awfully kind of you. I gave it to you because I doubt it will help. <laughs> Considering that Earth is way smaller than Jupiter, and this is this is a gas. The size difference between gas giants and terrestrial planets is very different. I'm just gonna go and say a million miles. It's called Methuselah. Like, you gotta be a million something, right? Methuselah was really old, not really big. Could be both. He could have been one of the the, the Nephilim, <laughs> and and uh, one of the one of the rock giants that helped Noah build the ark. Yeah, of course, rock giants that helped uh, Emma, that was, Emma Watson uh... and and Russell Crowe get onto the ark. All right, my answer is fifteen billion, fifteen point eight billion flatworms. Yep, the correct answer is one billion three hundred and. 10 million oh my goodness yeah a planet is not going to be a million miles in diameter well i was imagining it's like so like if earth is 7900 and i was imagining that there were a hundred earths making up the diameter of jupiter and this was bigger than jupiter so that gets us to about a million uh anyway Methuselah is 80,000 miles across, or 129,000 kilometers. So it's more massive than all the planets of the solar system. Let's talk thickness. We can't. Uh, they're one millimeter thick. So how many flatworms go into the thickness of the thinnest smartphone in the world? Here's a hint. Let's see. The thinnest phone as of this year is the Vivo X5 Max, which has made a name for itself purely for thinness. So if you're thinking, what the heck is a Vivo? Well, it's because it's not particularly and technically impressive. But it it's thin. If you want a thin phone. If you want a phone that might bend in your pocket. I'm going to go with 10. 10. Flatworms. Final answer? Because 10, 10 millimeters is one centimeter, right? I'm going to go with five. Centimeter sounds a little too thick. So we'll go with five millimeters. Final answer. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, the answer is five. Yes, final answer. The correct answer is 4.7. Yeah, that's a win. The um, iPhone... I mean, the, the Vivo is... 4.75 millimeters thick. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing you didn't go with 10 because I've, the new iPhone 13 is less than that. Yeah, I was just looking at my phone and I was like, that seems like it's probably about a centimeter. So. I don't think in centimeters. This is really hard for me. But that's all I got. For Well, I mean... Uh, once you get below an inch, you're going meters anyway. Metrics. Anyway. And like if you look at a ruler, it's going to have centimeters on it. Yeah, I just don't look at a lot of rulers. 
I try fair not enough. to. At least. Fair. I mean, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I just realized also why Methuselah is, uh, it's the most, it's more massive than Jupiter, but that doesn't mean it's, uh, it doesn't mean it's, uh, the diameter is bigger. True. True. I forgot about that, especially with gas giants. It's just heavier. Are you ready for some fast facts about the yeah. Bedford's flatworm? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you mentioned that their range is kind of all over the place, and it is. They, they're kind of all over the South Pacific, uh, Indonesia, Australia, Thailand. Wikipedia says Kenya. But that is really specific, like considering that Kenya, like, has a small coastline. And Somalia is mostly coastline and it's just north of it. Or like Madagascar, which is an island literally surrounded by coastline. Or Mozambique. Is, it, like, it, that, that would be like saying that there's an animal that's really prevalent in the Caribbean and then also like New Jersey. <laughs> like, it's like, like, okay. That's very, very specific. But And it's super far away. Like Kenya is really far completely on the other side of the Indian Ocean. So I don't know if that's incorrect, but maybe it is. Uh, but it's definitely all over the uh, the South Pacific, Southeast Asia, and all that stuff. Uh, it eats small crustaceans and ascidians, which are stationary little filter-feeding organisms on the seafloor, little, little tubular dudes, um, which I did not know existed. It's kind of interesting. Maybe we can do an episode on those. I can swim relatively quickly, the worm can, um, and it kind of undulates the edges of its body, making it look like, you know, like a, like a stingray would. Um, but it kind of gets, it has that flying magic carpet uh, deal. I don't know if you remember the beginning of Finding Nemo when he's, when they're going with Mr. Ray to the, the drop-off. Um, he looks down and there's this pink undulating you know, slug thing. And uh, that is most likely not this, not the Bedford's flatworm, but one of these flatworms in the um, genus Pseudobiceros. Um, and one, so the, the last fast fact I'll leave you with before we get to the major fact is that they do not handle stress well. So there's a lot of information about like People trying to keep them as pets in aquariums. They do not make good pets in aquariums because if they get stressed out, they just crack that cyanide tooth in the back of their mouths and off themselves. Um, but the, in reality, they they actually digest themselves, they dissolve in their own enzymes. Um, so they are like like many people. They become self-destructive when they get stressed out. And uh, so, yeah, don't don't handle these guys unless you know what you're doing. They live in coral reefs and stuff. So if you go diving or snorkeling around there, you might be likely to see one. Let them be so they don't kill themselves with by digesting their own body. And that's all I got. You got some major facts for us that, that will put my nicknamed into a little bit more perspective rob roy yep. rage and this squishy swashbuckling saber sailor <laughs> yeah i sure do uh so first of all warning to parents 
This major fact will include reproductive terminology. While not crass, it may involve some advanced vocabulary if you catch my drift. Uh, we're gonna say we're gonna say we're gonna say reproductive words. So, the magic carpet flatworm is a solitary man and woman, since it's hermaphroditic. So they they are they rarely encounter one another in the wild. In fact, they have the necessary tools to fertilize their own eggs and reproduce. Um, but when they do meet each other, like Elden Ring duelists, there is an etiquette that must be performed. It's 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 more it's less like an etiquette and more like immediate hostility. But <laughs> hey, some sometimes that happens in Elden Ring as well. You, you don't emote first. <laughs> uh, I do. Unless they're an invader, in which case they have no rights. Right. So when two flatworms come together, they will engage in something called penis fencing. What could that oh, mean? Okay. What could that mean? <laughs> the it's it's not like swords. fencing at all. They really don't actually do that. Um, fencing may be a misnomer. It is, but it is. Uh, Warfare that involves reproduction. So the magic carpet flatform, uh, flatworm, our magic carpet friend, has a two-pronged penis that protrudes from their ventral surface, uh, which is their underside. To uh, to look at one of these cone-shaped appendages, you might assume that it was more like fangs than anything else. And it is kind of like fangs. Um, any mating animal knows that it's much much easier to be a father than a mother, at least when it comes to the gestating and carrying offspring side of parenting. Uh, and I think dads that are, that, that I, you, you may speak to this more than anyone, more than I can, but I'm sitting uh, in front of a crib, I, I, it's not easy, but it's easier than being the person holding them in your body. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, for a flatworm, looking after fertilized eggs is a labor-intensive process. So in other words, it's better to give than to receive in terms of reproduction. So the idea of reproducing without the extra responsibility and resource drain is enough to make even these introverted worms more gregarious. So they can um, reproduce by themselves, but they're... They're incentivized for more than one reason to not do that, to find a mate. So a literal stab with their fang-like inseminating weapon uh, anywhere on the body will fertilize the other flatworm. And that's how they can self-fertilize self as well. They stab themselves. But if they stab another flatworm, that other flatworm has the responsibility of uh, taking care of the fertilized eggs. But the other flatworm also would prefer to avoid the extra burden. So the duel commences. The loser will take the L and, fer and, and the fertilized eggs. So they, the duel usually it, it involves like rearing up. It really looks like worms trying to bite each other with fangs or stab each other with fangs. Um, so... I, I imagine that it often results in both of them getting fertilized. <laughs> because they're not that great at it. 
Right. Yeah. But I guess uh, they don't have their parries and reposts down. Right. Um, but this profit pro- process benefits everyone because it ensures genetic diversity. Right. I imagine that if you are a species that can um, reproduce asexually, you're essentially making clones of yourself. So mixing in some genetic variability is a good thing. But it's also stre- a streamlined version of mating combat, right? In in something like, let's say, an elk, males will compete and the dominant male wins mating rights. So you have you have this 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 combat test to to test your physical fitness. But this is a more streamlined version of that. You have two worms and the more physically fit one is going to win the duel. Uh, so that means if you, it's the consolation prize for the loser is that your your genes get mixed with somebody who's good at combat. A superior specimen. Right. So getting beaten means ensuring mixing uh, some physically fit genes into your eggs. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, you with with the the primary focus of most animals being to reproduce and survive. If they can just do it themselves to themselves, it's surprising that that's they don't just do that. Like that that hasn't been um, that they still have an instinctive drive to mix genes. Yeah, because it's easier. It's easier. I mean, the the ideal is to um, do like reproduce multiple times because it ensure it increases the odds that you'll have success. If you reproduce once, maybe that clutch of eggs gets eaten by you know a barracuda, except for one stunted one that has to go on a trip to Sydney, Australia. It's named but, after a famous sea captain that uh, pilots a submarine. Right. So the idea of like mating multiple times is better. So then if you can minimize your resource drain, minimize your labor, minimize your stress, then you, you know, come out on top in that regard. It's better. That's pretty important when uh, stress literally kills you instantly. <laughs> right, it forces you to digest yourself. So, you want to avoid stress, as, you know, as, as much as you can. Def, these guys should definitely stay off Twitter and not engage in the uh, in the, the fish and bird debate. <laughs> so otherwise, we're gonna have a lot of melty flatworms on our hands. But yeah, that's all I got. It's an interest that sounds like a sci-fi concept like what if there was a race that like you know both of them could you know carry the eggs or not and see what happens you know leads to some strife yeah, there's that some happens conflict. that happens pretty often actually in the animal like fish and and frogs 
and particularly like slugs and, and worms and things like that, where they can either change sex or they are hermaphroditic. So it's interesting that they haven't, that that's not a more popular sci-fi concept, like meeting a race of aliens where they can just, they can, they can be the pitcher or the catcher depending on the situation. Well, like, but even like the frogs is different than this. Cause I don't think a frog, a frog has to change. And I think in a lot of cases, the change is permanent. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking about like, uh, like having the environment or situation cause them to automatically change their sex. Like the, um, the, the cleaner rats where like, if the male dies, then one of the females just becomes the male. But this is, this is so, so strange to me. Like the, the, the kind of asexual reproduction where it is, you have the option like his budding. You don't have the option. Right, you just break off a piece of that Kit Kat bar, and it becomes a brand new Kit Kat bar. Oh, delicious! <laughs> so, like the idea of like, oh, you have the the part the tools to have a normal sexual reproduction, but you can also do that to yourself. Very strange. Yeah, I think we talked about this with the giant African land snail, like. It searches for a mate, but if it doesn't find one, it can just handle handle things on its own. But I wonder how like stuff like starfish get around the 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 degradation of like genetic, like just making clones of yourself. I don't think starfish. I don't think that's their primary. I might or be wrong bud. about this, but I, I don't think that's their primary. Or form of or creature any creature that primarily buds. I, I think that genetic diversity is just less and less important in those species. For for most things that bud, it's just like you're stationary, you're a sponge or a polyp or something like that. So, um, I don't know. May, maybe there are just fewer factors that impact your survival, and so being genetically the same for thousands of generations is is fine. Yeah, I guess until a, a gene or a disease that affects your genes is interesting. wipes you out and then there's someone, some, some other polyp with other genes survives and that's the one that continues and spreads. It's survival of the fittest even down to the, the budding polyps. Very true. All right. That's all you got? That's all I got. All right. So that was the... Bedford's flatworm, the Christmas flatworm. Bedford's just Bedford Falls is just Christmas. Um, so if you're out there in Podcastia, go on a magic carpet ride. Practice your parries and your reposts, and try not to get so stressed out that you dissolve in your own enzymes, like Bedford's flatworm here in life, death. Hey Taxonomy Titans, I just want to remind you that we now have a Patreon. Patrons can see full video episodes and get shoutouts on the show. But ultimately, it's a way for you to help us cover some costs and get even better. Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. 
As always, thanks for listening and engaging. Life, Death, and Taxonomy is my favorite in the world podcast. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is Bedford's flatworm. It's it, uh, also called the magic carpet flatworm because it the, uh, floats through the water like a magic carpet. Isn't that interesting? And then I do some research and I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs>